All righty. Uh, this is, uh, I've been trying for two days to do this recording, and uh, I just could not fit it in. I couldn't get it in. There's a lot of reasons for that, but you know what? That's just the way life is at this point. Uh, for those of you who like this podcast, I'm, I think I could probably count you on one hand. Uh, it's been a while since I've done a podcast, and uh, that's just the way life is right now. It is very, very busy. I guess that's a good thing in some ways. Um, but I do love this podcast, so I wanted to get back to it. This is For What It's Worth podcast. I do not remember the episode. It's been that long since I've done one of these. It doesn't matter. It's been, I'm guessing, in the upper 70s, maybe low 80s, number of episodes of this podcast. And uh, again, no one, not one person ever asked me to do this podcast, but yet here we are. Here we are. And For What It's Worth podcast is really just about me talking about random topics. And we've got uh, 10 random topics, you, you could say, today. But basically, I always start out this podcast with telling you who this is for, our hero of the week, and our goat of the week. Uh, and goat, I don't mean greatest of all time. I mean goat as in ass, donkey, idiot. There's, and there's always tons more goats than there are heroes, but maybe that's always been the case with human history. Remember, what's the first thing our species did when we became the dominant species on the planet? The first thing we did was kill off everything else and everyone else, the species, the poor Cro-Magnon before us, you know, the knuckle draggers, we just, we probably ripped them apart and ate them. That's my, that's, that's my best educated guess. And um, we're kind of doing the same thing to each other today. So if, if you're one of these people that's out there and saying that everything is wrong and the world is spinning out of control and everything is bad, well, you'd probably be partially right. But also remember, it's been this way since our grubby little species uh, took over. This podcast is for anyone who is in love and appreciates and knows the importance and strategic offering of Neil Breen. If you know Neil Breen and you love Neil Breen and you understand the importance and the dominance and the magic of Neil Breen, then welcome aboard. I think you're going to love this podcast. And if you don't know who Neil Breen is, well, you can thank me now or you can thank me later because you have simply not been exposed to anything or anyone quite like him. Our hero of the week, this is good, this is really good. Our hero of the week is anyone who still believes dipshit Donnie. If you're one of these people who still believes what dipshit Donnie is saying after all of these years, uh, I haven't, again, I haven't done this podcast in a long time. There's been so much that has happened. The last time I did this podcast, I don't think Dipshit Donnie had been indicted at all. I don't think one, two, three, four indictments, 91 counts against him. And uh, if, I don't know if you've seen any of his recent ramblings, but they are unhinged is not even the right word. We're, we are approaching, I mean, we better call Tattoo because we're getting very close to Fantasy Island here. It is incredible what is coming out of this moron's mouth. And here's the thing. This is what I love. I have plenty of friends who are in the what I would call the MAGA base, right? These are, uh, you know, they're friends, longtime family acquaintances, that kind of thing. Don't necessarily hang out with these people on a daily basis, but know quite a few people who are in the MAGA cult. And cult's not a word I use lightly. And I probably wouldn't have used that word maybe two years ago, but now definitely watching my friends in this, in this subset, they are definitely displaying cultish behavior when it comes to Donnie. And uh, actually other people in the party too. It's bizarre, truly bizarre. But again, they're the base. It's like Biden's base. You know, people who are the people that say, oh, there's never been a bad Democrat in the world. 
those people are cultish as well. So it kind of plays on both sides. But then there's this other subset of people who are stuck voting for him because he's the only game in town, right? These are like classic traditional Republican voters, and they have turned themselves inside out trying to find ways to still vote for him. The easiest thing is to just say, well, I could never vote for, I'm a lifelong Republican, I could never vote for, vote for Democrat. And it works for some of them. Others like have turned themselves in, inside out trying to come up with these bizarre reasons for why they can still vote for him. Those are the people that I'm interested in. Those are the heroes of the week, are those people who have somehow found a way to dismiss every single thing he has son said and done and then rationalized it in their own head. And the crazy thing is, some of my friends on the MAGA, MAGA like cultish side, the base side, they're just whacked. They're just completely and utterly whacked people, not highly educated, you know, kind of prone to conspiracy people to begin with. But this other group, my hero of the week, I don't even have a name for them. They're this mid-level, you know, I got to vote for him because he's our Republican candidate, and I have to overlook every single thing he said and done over the, I mean, just narrow it to the last three years. It's impressive. The list of like violations, it's, it truly is impressive. And they're my heroes of the week because I have conversations with them and I hear them say things like, like I'll say, well, could never vote for Republicans right now. Cause I'm married to a Jew. And I just get this look of bewilderment and like confusion because they are trying to figure out a way to, rationalize that by saying they'll say things like well what do you mean why would you say that and i'm like well because you know the republican side spouts anti-semitic tropes pretty much every single day from someone in that party they're blasting out anti-semitic trump's done it a million times stephen miller is chief policy advisor marjorie taylor green goes on and on and on and they'll they say things like this they'll go yeah yeah, I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I just don't understand that. And then I'll say, so, well, you then you can't vote for him, right? And then they'll be like, well, no, I'm still going to vote for him. So those are my heroes of the week. My goats of the week, and this is, this is directed, I know, at some of you directly. Oh, boy. I have two goats of the week. And uh, I watched a football game, an NFL football game the other night. Not all of it, but most of it, like three and a half quarters. It's the first game I've watched in a long time, years. And it was okay. It was interesting. It was Detroit and Oakland, or Detro Detroit and Las Vegas. I wouldn't say it was a pretty game, but it was, you know, it was okay. We had good, good food. Watched this, bounced over to the World Series a little bit, checking that. Man, that's kind of, a, kind of a sleeper. The general public, by the way, could care less about Texas and Arizona, unless the Yankees and the Dodgers are involved. No one cares. The casual fan is like, I'd rather volunteer for jury duty than watch the World Series. So I kind of feel bad for those guys, but who knows? Who cares? It, I'm not involved. Watching this football game, and the, the commercials come on. And I keep seeing this commercial for, I think it's called, uh, what is it, Marvel? Marvels? With plural? Like Marvel Comics, you know, these Marvel films that they're making like every six weeks. There's a new Marvel film that comes out, and it has this loaded celebrity cast, but it's not really them. It's like their likeness and CGI and green screen, and it's just everything is computer generated and moving around. I'm watching these ads, and I'm thinking to myself, what kind of a lame asshole is watching these movies? Who, who is watching these movies? And my first thought was, well, it has to be children, right? These are films designed for children. But not enough children are going to a theater at this point when you can stream most of these things. Not enough people or kids are going to a theater to watch this. My sinking suspicion is that these Marvels films are being watched by adults. 
And like, what kind of a lame dumbass do you have to be to sit through two and a half hours of that nonsense? It is horrible, horrible. So my go to the week is if you're out there and you're watching these Marvel films, what the hell is the matter with you? Do you not have enough to do that? Like you have two and a half hours of free time. And oh, by the way, driving to the theater and paying the prices to see these films. Who on earth is watching these movies? I don't get it. I don't get it. And I'm sure within the 50 Marvel movies that have come out in the last decade, there's probably two or three that were probably decent. And the rest of them are just rehash, retread, rehash, retread, rehash, retread. The, the crazy thing for me is the, the imp most important part of a movie is the script. If you have a good script, you can pretty much get away with anything. And these films are not about the script. These films are about computer-generated nonsense, and it's just crazy. So if you're one of these people spending your hard-earned money and spending your time going to a Marvel movie, I kind of feel bad for you. And the second go to the week is this is kind of speaks to conformity more than anything else. I was thinking about this the other day. Someone made a comment on my YouTube channel, um, a joke. And the comment was something along the lines of, you know, oh, you got a new camera coming. Can't wait for you to do an unboxing with a purple gel in the background. And I don't know what this is, but, you know, camera reviewers on YouTube, someone decided to put a purple or blue gel in the background at some point. This probably goes back five years. And now there must be 50 people who have purple gels and blue gels in the background of their YouTube films. It is so bizarre to see that level and specificity of conformity in a, quote, creative space. It's mind-boggling to see people do that, where that is a very specific thing to say, I'm going to light this bookshelf in the back of my YouTube set with a purple gel. And then someone else saw that and said, oh, hey, that's, that's pretty cool. This guy's got good numbers. I guess I'll put a purple gel in the background. And then 50 other people said, yeah, I think I'm going to do a purple gel in the background. It, it, coming from someone who spent their life in the creative industry and around the creative industry, conformity is nails on a chalkboard. Conform and that's basically what I see now about 80 to 90% of the time in the photography world, in the creative industry, is copycat. It's, it's derivative copycat work of something that's become popular for some reason. And then everyone's doing the same thing. It's just bizarre, and that's very deserving of go to the week. All right, let's move on to some points here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think some of these are pretty good, uh, and then some of them are. This is going to be a short recording today because I have to do something else right now. Um, I want to talk, first point is about Israel-Palestine and what the war that's happening. So as many of you know, I had a workshop scheduled for Lebanon in the spring, Lebanon, and that was canceled because of what's happening in southern Lebanon and the potential of unrest and Hezbollah maybe getting involved in the fight in Israel if they aren't already involved. And then we moved it to Egypt and then people were nervous about going to Egypt. Now, mind you, I would go to both of these places today. I would go to southern Lebanon today. I would go to Egypt today. I would go to Jordan was the second component of the trip. I would go to Jordan. But all of these have been Canceled, postponed until 2025. We're going to give it some time and see what's happening. But I had a long conversation with someone two days ago or Monday of this week where uh, someone who had done a book on Israel a couple of years ago. So it's not like a book that just came out, but it's a beautiful photo book. And we were talking about that, doing our thing. And uh, the first thing I said in this conversation was, I don't know enough about the Israel-Palestine situation to share my opinion. I, I don't know enough about it. 
There has been fighting in that region my entire life. I was born in 1969. And if I'm not mistaken, there was some pretty heavy stuff going down in the region in 68 and 70 and 72. And, you know, I was too young to even fathom what was going on, even though I was of just wicked intellect, even at a, as a, as a, a, a zygote, I was just, you know, testing off the charts. But I don't know enough about the situation to comment. So I said to my, to my friend, I don't know enough about it to comment. And I don't. There's plenty of things in the world that I don't know enough to comment on. And if I do comment, it's emotional and it's, 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 it's speculation. And frankly, what I see now happening at all levels, including the highest levels of the journalism world, is speculation and emotion. I, I'm, I'm not hearing or seeing a whole lot of factual data coming out other than there was a bomb that went off and there's people dying and it's horrible on both sides. It's just a terrible scenario what's going down. But again, I just want to make the point. If, if you don't know enough about a topic, you owe it to yourself to do two things. One, research until you do have enough information to form an educated opinion. And number two, until that time, shut up. And whatever you do, stop posting online about your emotional, based in American suburbia comments about what's happening halfway around the world in the Middle East. Most of what I see in here is completely uneducated emotional responses on both sides. And that's clearly not helping matters. So I just wanted to say, look, if you don't know about something, admit you don't know it. Go research it or just move on to the next topic because all this emotional talk without any kind of like factual basis on what we're doing is kind of uh, kind of sad. This book that this guy did is gorgeous, and I'm going to do an interview with him about the book. Actually, I have three books lined up. One is about Chile. One is a personal book about a road trip that someone did, and uh, this book on, on uh, Israel, which is a beautifully done photography book. Okay, point number two. Um, this is my camera review. I got the X100V approximately six months ago, and I carried it every single day and used it every single day for six months. So I finally feel like I could give you a relatively educated opinion as to what this camera does well and doesn't do well. And the short answer is it does pretty much everything well. There are limitations due to things like a crop sensor and an older autofocus system, which is now, I think, at least three years old. So obviously, things have advanced since then. The color of the files, incredible. The functionality of the camera, incredible. Probably the single best everyday camera that you would want to carry around because of the size and weight, which is virtually non-existent. You can have this thing on your body all day, every day, and not think twice about it. I shot it every day in Peru for three weeks in all kinds of conditions. People write, there's a lot of folks that have reached out and said, well, you know, how's the weather ceiling and all that. I have not had a digital camera from any brand go down since my original Canon 5D on a shoot in Mexico where it was 100 degrees, high humidity, and I was in the sun and the cameras were in the sun and they overheated. And I had to switch over to my Hasselblad and I shot film for a couple hours. I put the Canons in the shade, let them cool down. And, uh, and then, you know, went back to using them. That was the last time in the original Canon 5D. That has to be 15 years ago, something around that time. All of these cameras are fine. For 99% of the people who are asking these questions, this camera is going to do 100 times more than you're ever going to be able to do with it. So I wouldn't worry about weather sealing unless you're one of these YouTubers who goes out and shoots wildlife. 
and and landscapes and purposely like soaks your cameras because the geeky men out there in the world for some reason love to watch this happening i don't it's perverse it's so perverse it's like it's all these youtube films about people camping in arctic conditions i bought a seven dollar tent at walmart let's go out and watch me sleep in minus 40 degree conditions that is also so bizarre because here's the thing guys and it's i'm saying guys because 99 percent of the people watching those films are middle-aged men who are never ever ever going camping let alone camping in minus 40 in a seven dollar tent uh that is so bizarre i just find that whole cold weather camping crowd absolutely and utterly perversely bizarre and i think people who are worried about weather sealing on cameras who basically are maybe walking around the mall once a month making snapshots with their camera you don't have to worry about any of it this stuff what you should worry about is dropping it or which because you know digital cameras have a lot of uh, a lot of sensitive tech inside they do not do well with drops and uh, they don't do well with theft, with being stolen. So you, those are the two primary concerns I would think about, especially if you live in one of these liberal cities. Just kidding, just kidding. Oh, again, uh, just a moronic trope from America. I love it. And my, I have righty friends who drop that all the time, like, oh, well, you know, the liberal cities are, are, are um, unraveling. And I'm like, really? And then I start listing off like quote unquote conservative cities, which is a moronic take as well, because every city in America is a blend of everything. So, and I'm like, really, have you been to X, Y, Z, P, Q, R cities? And they just like, their eyes get crossed. And speaking of right wing wackos, let's talk a little bit. Point number three, let's talk about the Democrats, because holy cow, are you a dumpster fire as well? So let me get this straight. You dipshits managed to defeat Donnie three and a half years ago with a guy who at that time was at the upper edge of the age that anyone wants near the presidency. You won. You, 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 you absolutely smashed Trump, crushed him. He unraveled, started spreading the lies. Now 70% of that idiotic party is behind him, claiming that this election was uh, rigged in some way, shape, or form. By the way, if you still believe that, moron. You're just a moron. Um, there's, you know, At some point, three and a half years into this conversation, you would think that someone would have some shred of evidence. But hey, apparently we don't need that anymore. But in the background, the Democrats had to be sitting there going, hey, we feel pretty good about ourselves. We just beat this moron. Which, you know, you shouldn't have felt that good about beating that guy because the bar was so low. I think if you'd have run out, literally, you could have run out someone, anyone, and you had a good chance of beating Donnie at that point. But what did you do over the next three and a half years? You did absolutely nothing. You did nothing. You could have taken the day that you won in 2020, you could have said, great, we're grooming the next person to be head of the party. We're looking for a middle-aged, moderate, centrist Democrat that can work with both sides of the aisle. I know, I know it's fictional here. Play along with me, people. And then groom them for three and a half years. Groom them, get them involved, put them out there and say, look, that's the future of the party right there. This person, future of the party. 
Three and a half years to do it. What did the Democrats do? Nothing. They sat around doing nothing. Zero. This is part, in part for a couple of reasons. One, Biden has a monumental ego. Look what he did to Kamala Harris. She has been non-existent. That is a competition between Biden wanting to be the, stealing the show and having all the thunder. And everyone, when she w- – remember, remember what happened in 2020 when Kamala Harris was like, hey, everyone, she's going to be the vice president? Remember how all your lefty liberal friends were like, oh, my God, she is going to be the best VP in the history of our country? Gone, non-existent. Part of that is because – and this happens to everybody's VP, not just Biden's, but the president – always tries to keep that VP under their thumb because after all, what does every first term president want? They want a second term. So anything that steals thunder from them, even from their own party is unacceptable and they will crush them down. So they did nothing. And now we have no candidate to replace him. We have a guy who is clearly past the point of, of health when it comes to being president. The other reason why this happens is because the Democrats are just as corrupt as any other political party in America. And when you got your fingers in the kitty and you're making your money off of the party and you're making your money off of a system that's flawed, that has loopholes, that allows you to do that, you do not want to rock the boat. Nobody wants to rock the boat too much because nobody wants the system to change. When you have healthcare for life, when, you're, when you have access to lobby groups who are able to, to basically finance you, your family, your, your history, your life, all of this, who wants to rock the boat? Nobody. Now, on a side note here, this is not a Democratic point, but this is uh, subcategory B under point three, Democrats. This is where things are going to get interesting. I, I, don't, I don't think anything will come of this, but I think if we were a non-corrupt nation, this could really upset the apple cart. Like this could cause serious unrest, which is the investigation into the Supreme Court. Uh, They are now subpoenaing people, people like Harlan Crow, about their relationship with our Supreme Court justices. And this is, I, I don't know if there's any more further evidence of the level and depth of corruption in America than what's happening with some of these Supreme Court justices and what's been exposed about their behavior uh, in modern times and in the past. And man, it is like, not, am I surprised? No. But here's the thing. Um, when I'm talking to my crazy righty friends and I'm laughing about something that Trump's been indicted for, their typical response is still, all these years later, their typical response is, is this, this phrase, this exact phrase, Hunter Biden laptop. That's the response I get from my Trumper friends when I'm making fun of something that Donnie has done or said or been busted for or his kids or someone in his administration or all these other people that are now flipping on him, the Mark Meadows of the world, the Sidney Powells of the world, the Rudy Giuliani's of the world, the Michael Cohen's of the world. I make fun of those guys all the time to my Trumper friends, and their response is Hunter Biden laptop, which, again— is that bizarre? Yes. Is it moronic? Yes. Is it completely and utterly understandable in a modern, modern American culture? Yes. But here's my follow-up question to them. What child of a high-level politician, American politician, what child, either party, what child of a professional athlete in America, let's just take football, baseball, basketball, what child of a professional actor or actress in America 
what child does not get special privilege? Now, did Hunter Biden do things he probably shouldn't have? Yep. Did he probably get access to jobs and money and positions of power he didn't, didn't deserve? Yep. Tell me how that differs from any other child of an American high-level politician or Supreme Court justice or any American celebrity or any American athlete. And frankly, you could probably throw in members of law enforcement who are high-level members of law enforcement that are going to get special privileges. That is the culture and society and reality that we have built here. There are different rules for different people. If you're a, a member of the high-level financial world, you're getting away with murder if you want to, probably literally at times. Um, look at Trump's gag orders, okay? Judge imposes a gag order. These are the things you're not supposed to do and say. Within an hour of being gagged, he's out doing those and posting them. And so far, there has been no punishment whatsoever. They fined him like 10000 bucks, which is a joke. And so there is no penalty for these people. So why, if you're saying Hunter Biden laptop, then why don't you say Jared Kushner, Saudi Arabia? Like how, how come, if you're, if you're parading Hunter Biden laptop in front of people, then how can you then turn around and say, well, there's nothing wrong, you know, with Jared Kushner and Saudi, well, there's nothing wrong with that, but Hunter Biden's laptop. So what, what I'm getting at here is if you're drawing these lines in the sand and standing on one side or the other, you're a moron because you're, um, you are clearly ignoring evidence. And by the way, evidence that goes back decades and decades and decades about indiscretion on both of the parties in America and the court system and the judges and law enforcement and the military. That's just what we are now. And instead of acknowledging it and saying, okay, maybe this has gone on long enough, let's, let's get together and see if there's a way for us to begin to chip away at the corruption levels in America. Now, again, I am a tend to be a realist. I don't think there's, we're ready for that yet. I think we would have to hit rock bottom first. But hey, I don't know. Let's look up. Maybe we are dangerously close to rock bottom. I don't think so. I think things can get a lot worse before they get better. But hey, I'm an, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an idealist, you know? I'm a, uh, I'm a glass half full guy. I think we can do a lot more damage to ourselves before we actually hit rock bottom. I, I have utmost faith. Okay, let's talk about point number four. India. India, India, India. Someone wrote me and said, hey, I've heard you talking about Peru and places like that and China, which is bizarre. I did read a book about China, but I don't remember saying much about like my my love of visiting china i've been there i've only been there one time i would love to go to china don't get me wrong but it's not something i've spent a lot of time hyping but for some reason there's a subset of people out there who think that i'm not interested in india for some reason which is bizarre because i am very interested in india but here's the thing a couple of years ago i get a call from someone and they're like hey we want you to teach a workshop in india and i'm like great that sounds amazing i've wanted to go to india my whole life and, you know, where is it? Because it's such a massive place and such a diverse place that I was like, okay, where's this going to be? And I don't remember exactly where it was. It might have been Hyderabad. Um, and they were like, yeah, we want you to teach there and you'll teach for five days. So you got to get over here and then you'll teach for five days and then we'll fly you out. And I was like, no, thanks. And they were like, well, what are you talking about? And I'm like, why would I go to India for five days? What on earth can I possibly accomplish in India over a five-day period and fly all the way over there. Now, if I was one of these warped individuals who more than anything in their life, they are trying to maximize airline miles, 
while they're claiming to be an environmentalist and then flying for no reason just to maximize their airline miles so they can get upgrades and and then maximize miles so that then they can fly more telling everybody that they're an environmentalist. Yeah, if I was that person, I probably would have taken that trip. The thing about India is I don't want to go to India until I have the time to actually experience India. And again, does that mean southern India? Does that mean going to northern India? Does that mean going to, into Kashmir? Does it mean going into the, the Himalayas? Uh, yes, all the above. I want to go to all of those places and do all of those things, and I would need a massive amount of time. So India is on, is on like the uh, simmer in the background. It's on the stove. The heat is on, but it's just simmering. It's waiting for me to somehow miraculously get the time to actually go and experience India. India for me is about one thing, slow. Slow, slow, slow travel. There cannot be this in and out posting, look how cool I am, I went to India thing. I don't care. I want to go to India and disappear for weeks or months, months and months at a time and really get to know it. And um, that's not going to happen anytime soon. Speaking of India, point number five, the Royal Enfield Himalayan. Yes, I am the proud owner of a 2023 Royal Enfield Himalayan in Pine Green. I have about 600 miles on it so far. I've been gone most of the time that I've owned this motorcycle. I have been traveling, so I have not been on it as much as I would like to be on it. Uh, but it is a blast. It is slow. It is underpowered. It is, uh, there are, you know, the welds are not exactly beautiful welds. It's, a, it's what I would call in some ways kind of a crude motorcycle. But it is awesome. It is a blast to ride. It is slow. You cannot get the front wheel off the ground. I don't care if you if you peg it, peg the RPMs and drop the clutch, you will not get the front tire off the ground. It is just not going to happen. It is a very slow, underpowered motorcycle. I will do some modifications. I've got an exhaust. I've got a Bach exhaust. I'm going to swap out the uh, stock exhaust, which is ginormous and heavy, and I'm going to replace it with this absolutely tiny Bach exhaust, which looks amazing. That will save weight, but also... Uh, let the engine breathe a little better. I'm also going to swap out the air filter and the air filter cover for an air filter that, uh, one, is just much superior to the stock one, but two, it lets the engine breathe. The combination of those two things based on friends who've had these bikes and done these modifications makes a huge difference. But frankly, I don't care how slow it is. I'm happy with the way it is now. But I think because I live at elevation, I think getting more air into the engine, letting it breathe in and out a lot better than it does right now will be helpful. And I also added a couple of things. I added a SRC GPS mount up above the um, instrument cluster. I added a headlight, headlight guard because where we are, getting your windshields cracked on roads here is very, very common. There's a lot, not a lot of shoulders on the roads here. There's a lot of dirt, gravel, debris on, on our roads. So, like, for example, the windshield in the van has a couple of cracks. My wife's windshield is cracked. I have people here in town who drive vehicles that are cracked. Everybody's got cracked windshields. So getting a cracked headlight um, is a very much a, a, a real possibility. But now I have a headlight guard on there, which is nice. I will eventually swap out the headlight bulb for an LED bulb to get a little bit more brightness. Because one of the things about the Himalayan is the technology is not, like, cutting-edge technology. So the headlight's kind of a joke. The brakes are terrible if I had to to um, critique the bike in one way, shape, or form right now. The rear brake is just awful, and the front brake is, like, barely passable. So 
when you need to slow this thing down, you need to make sure that you have time and distance to get it slowed down. It's not like um, it's not like that's new technology. If there was a way to upgrade the rear brake and the front brake, maybe a larger rotor in the front, uh, maybe a better drum in the back, I would definitely consider doing that because that's one improvement. The bike is also heavy. It's a heavy motorcycle. The good news is the weight is down low. It's very, very low. So consequently, there is weight to it, but it is incredibly stable. Like this, if you're new to riding a motorcycle, this is like the dream bike because it's very capable both on and off road. It's very comfortable to ride. It's slow and easy to control and it is heavy, but the weight is down low. So what that means is if you're ripping along at 65 miles an hour on the highway and you hit some grooved pavement and there's side wind, the bike just tracks. It just absolutely tracks along very well. The downside of this is off-road when you dump it over. And inevitably, if you ride motorcycles off-road, they are going over. Oftentimes, you'll go over multiple times in one day, depending on what you're riding. Especially out here, because you hit a lot of sand, roads get, you know, long periods of time between moisture. Roads, dirt roads, forest roads get rutted up. And you also hit patches of sand. And sand is a nightmare. I do not like riding in sand at all, but it's just a, a, a price of admission out here. You will dump these bikes over. And so picking it up, depending on who you are, your size, your positioning, your technique, how the bike falls, whether it falls downhill or uphill, you know, can take a while to get these bikes back up. And so I installed engine guards. I installed some other guards for components on the bike. And um, I still haven't done the pipe yet or the air, air, uh, air filter yet, but I will at some point when I get back. But we're also in the 20s now in the morning here. So winter has arrived and I don't tend to do a ton of riding in the winter because it is so cold. And also once the snow hits and the ice forms, um, it's terrifying. I do not like riding in the winter when there's ice and snow because it's just so easy to dump these things. And you dump a bike on the pavement in the winter and you hit a patch of ice or something and that is just not something i can afford to do so i will be pacing myself with the himalayan the motorcycle to me is a slow is a marathon it is a slow conversation i do not do anything fast when it comes to motorcycling um, you i also do things like there's never alcohol involved in a motorcycle ride ever so it's just not something that's smart to do and motorcycles are dangerous to begin with, and you want to stack the odds as much as you can in your favor. I do love this motorcycle. And speaking of India, I've seen some films recently of guys riding Royal Enfield Himalayans through Ladakh in northern India. That looks fantastic. Um, I would love to do that at some point, fly over, rent, rent an Enfield, ride through Nepal, Tibet, that kind of thing. Um, but again, when am I going to have time to do that? I have no idea. That's just like a pipe dream somewhere in the, in the future. Speaking of time and where I'm going to be, I want to move on to point, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, point five. Let's talk about workshops. As of right now, I have uh, one workshop for sure on the books. As I mentioned, Lebanon postponed, Egypt postponed, Jordan postponed. We'll get to them eventually. Very much looking forward to going to the Middle East after things hopefully uh, come to their rational senses, uh, hopefully sooner as opposed to later. Uh, as of right now, Spain, spring of next year, May of next year, teaching with Raw Society in Menorca, Spain. And this is a book-specific workshop. And it is Ross, hosted by Raw Society. I'm teaching the class. And Sarah Lean, who I interviewed a few months ago, 
who was the former uh, director of photography at Nat Geo, who is a photo editor, who is a book, a book editor. She is going to zoom in and do a um, editing masterclass in the middle of our class in Menorca, Spain, which is pretty fantastic. Here's the thing about book, book workshops, book-specific workshops where photography is not the primary goal. The primary goal is to bring an existing body of work and make sense of it, make sense of it in book form. And I'll tell you what, I had a long conversation with someone yesterday who I really like, who is a very good photographer and a very good book designer uh, tandem. The dude can do both things really well, which is rare. And we were talking about galleries and museums. And I said, I'm kind of getting over the photo galleries because most of them are pretty predictable. They do kind of the same thing. And, but I said, I still love museums, but I prefer natural history museums over art museums. And I like museums that are trying and doing things differently. And so we were talking about photography in museums, and my friend said, you know, I, I love photography exhibits in museums, but I still think the best way to consume photography is the book. The book is just this absolutely perfect vessel for photography. And it's, it's Jerry Badger, the famous photo book uh, guy who writes about photo books out of the UK. Jerry Badger is a name that you should definitely know. Jerry Badger said, photography is a story best told in book form. And I absolutely agree with that. So these bookmaking workshops to me are, are essential and fun and challenging in a very different way than doing a photo workshop. But book workshops scare consumer and prosumer photographers to death because photo books sh illustrate as much about what you don't know as what you do. So can you, can you archive your work, retrieve it, and prep it for publication? Prepping it based on what kind of pa paper you're using. And for a lot of people, they don't know how to do that. So they just panic and they go, well, I don't want to do anything with books because I, I can't even find the images I've made. I, can't, I don't know how to label them. I don't know how to export them. I don't know how to prep them for a matte paper as opposed to a gloss paper. So they give up. Then you have the editing of the images themselves. That's an art form. I came up in a time in photography where we had full-time photo editors all over the place. I spent the first three years of my life with a camera having to report to a photo editor every single day. That's intimidating because they are not kind. They are the ones there to make you better. Jesus, people are emailing me like mad. Sorry for that beeping coming in. That is completely annoying. Hang on, let me shut down my let me shut down my email here. So, book classes, editing scares people, and then sequencing scares people because it's like what image goes first to last, what Im what image is on the cover. Again, people are confronted, especially consumers, prosumers, and some pros, consumers, prosumers in particular geeky folks who want to talk about equipment all day, rarely ever use it, they would look at a book workshop and be like, well, why would I take that? I'm going to go on, you know, maybe I'll post something on Instagram every five days. That's the cop out. That's the easy way out. That's the, I'm never going to get any better at this, but I'm just addicted to this fake affirmation, need a pat on the back from a bunch of bots and strangers, and books terrify me. So sequencing the lost art of the book world, in my opinion, that intimidates people. Then it's page design. Holy cow, that's an entire industry right there. That's a whole separate industry. And frankly, I'm not good at page design. I never had any pay. I had one class that danced around page designing for college photo photojournalism degree. I had to design a Last of the Mohicans book cover, which I did with a T-square and tracing paper and then press on type. So we're talking pre-computer kind of thing. It was a great class. I'm glad I did it. It did teach me quite a bit about design, taught me about grids, that kind of thing. But that page design intimidates people. And then lastly, I would throw in typography. Type scares people to death because they don't know anything about it. And type is a whole separate industry as well. And if you think photographers are geeky, 
wait till you f- wait till you meet some type type geeks. Holy cow, type geeks are unbelievable. Th- they rival fly fishermen in terms of pure geek uh, accolades, pure geek pedigree. It's hard to get past typographers. So all of these things, if you don't know anything about these, and you claim to be a photographer. I can see why these classes would be intimidating. But here's the thing that you're forgetting. (laughs) Making these books is a blast. Not to mention the reason why we're teaching a workshop is we are there to help with all of this. Where to put your images, how to retrieve them, how to prep them, how to edit, how to sequence, how to choose page design, how to choose a typeface, how to choose materials, how to choose a trim size, how to choose a budget to move forward. That's what we're there for. And the thing is, the second you begin to understand your work in book form, you will immediately, this is my opinion, and I've formed this after 13 full-time years of watching people do this, you will immediately change as a photographer. Your life will change. When you begin to unravel the mystery that is the photo book, your life gets better. Your photography gets better better. Your thought process goes from frenetic, short-form nonsense to long-form, cohesive, calm thought about what photography means. This teaches you, this is the tip of the spear, the book, is the tip of the spear. Whatever, Instagram is the foundation of the pyramid, right? So in some ways you could say, well, that's a foundational piece, but it's all the way at the bottom of the pyramid. The top of the pyramid, the very tip of the spear, the absolute razor-sharp tip is the, is the completed photo book. That's why this class in Spain is going to be so good. Don't be afraid. This is fun. Jury duty sucks. Going to the DMV sucks. Paying taxes sucks. Making photo books, great. Plus, we're in Spain, and oh, by the way, um, when you see the location that we're going to be based out of, I would go to that location and sit motionless for a week and be perfectly happy. Check it out. Also, we are planning a, J- a Japan workshop for September of next year, and we're working on this right now. Looking, We've got two locations figured out. We're working on a third location. We're working on the time. We're look, looking at things of like mixing up uh, from like urban to rural kind of thing. Trying to keep the distances reasonable as well. You know, a couple hours on a bullet train is awesome, and I think that's, you know, something definitely – I love trains in general, but a couple hours on a, on a train – hardcore urban environments to rural environments and i got a call about this tomorrow we're still working out some of the details but that's september of next year japan i've never been i cannot wait and then end of next year like november ish we're looking at columbia and again columbia we've got a really interesting route uh picked out and this is going to be both uh mountain it's going to be city it's going to be coast it's going to be off the coast And then at the end, on my own, if anybody else is interested, I will probably flee at the end of the workshop, and I will go into the mountains to go birding. Because Colombia is arguably the best birding country in the world and might be the only country in the world that has a national birding plan as a nation. So something like 2,000 species of birds flying around there, and I can't imagine going there and not at least taking a couple of days to go see what I can see. So those are the workshops, Spain with Raw Society, Japan with Elena, who I teach with in uh, Albania, and who has been to Japan uh, several times, and then Colombia with Adam, who I just taught a workshop with in um, workshop slash tour in Peru. Okay, speaking of birding. Speaking of birding, this is point number six. Um, I, it's weird. 
It could be a middle age crisis. It could be. I don't think it is, but it could be. I get this all the time now. People are like, oh, you're a birder. And I'm like, no, I'm not a birder. I just am paying attention for the first time. That's it. But here's the thing. Birding is like getting kicked in the teeth all day long every day. There are occasional seconds, minutes of success, followed by hours, days, weeks of failure. It's hard. There, there's a certain species of bird that's in northern New Mexico right now where I live called the northern flicker, which is a version of a woodpecker. And they're absolutely gorgeous. They're, they're tan. They're red. They're yellow. They have a white section on their, on their rear that's sort of like meant to intimidate other larger birds and kind of throw them off into not attacking the northern flickers. And at this time of year, they come in here, and they typically pair up, and they're all over, and I know what they sound like, so I can walk out on the back porch right now, and I can listen, and I can hear pairs of these birds around. And they're beautiful, and I want an image of a northern flicker. I want a good image. I have been trying for weeks to get an image. I've got an image of a northern flicker that was literally 10 feet outside the front of the house, but I had to shoot it through the front window of the house by, like, laying on the floor and shooting up, and the light wasn't great, and it's an image. Yeah, it's in focus, and it's, like, a relatively tight image of the bird. But it's not good enough. I have been trying for weeks to get this damn thing. Weeks. And every day, multiple times a day. Like, I don't go on Instagram. I don't go on Facebook. I don't surf the web. If I have 30 minutes, I either eat lunch or I will go 30 minutes into the yard and try to make work in the yard of these birds. I've tried. I failed. I can't get near them. They, you know, some of these birds now, the bluebirds, the chickadees, the robins, I can walk right up to them. I can literally get within three feet of these birds, and they won't move. The, the, the juniper titmouse, they will come up and, like, gnaw on you if, you, if you if you stand still long enough, but not the northern flickers. The point is, birding is like getting kicked in the teeth in the best possible way. And maybe this dates back to because I started in photojournalism, where every day at sunrise you start over, everything you've done prior to that point in your career means nothing. You start over and it's high pressure, high stakes, and then the following day it starts over again and again. And you often, you know, you don't get what you want, you don't get access, you miss pictures, you get grief, the whole thing, and it's a weird, bizarre addiction that sort of begins to take over. I could very easily, if I had the money, which I don't, but if I did, and I could like retire and not have to work. And in America, by the way, I think there's a fair number of people who could, let's say, get to 60, 65 years old and financially um, they could retire. They could basically, you know, not, not like buy big houses and fancy cars and throw money around, but if they lived conservatively, they could retire, except for one thing, healthcare. They would all literally become destitute, and this is millions, millions, and millions of people in America who cannot afford health care. And the government, because they're extortionists to a lot of degree, is like, well, you have to have health care. You have to have it, and we're not really going to help you get it, and what we are going to offer is really going to drain every ounce, every penny you've ever had in your life. You spent 40 years of your life, the most productive years of your life working, and guess what? It's not enough because um, health care services are going to drain every single thing you have. It is so moronic and awful, but that is a part of living in America. And oh, by the way, someone sent me a film the other day. Someone I know used to work for someone who's on YouTube, who is a very, very popular YouTuber, a young woman. And 
um, apparently this young woman was, was thinking she was going to move to the United States. And after a year of being here was like, I can't afford to live here. I cannot afford to live here. And my guess is, I mean, this is a super successful YouTuber. My guess is there's a fair amount of money coming in from this channel. And she was like, I can't afford housing. I can't afford a piece of land. I cannot, the cost of living, food prices, everything here is so expensive. I have to leave. And so somebody sent me this film. I watched like five minutes of it. I skimmed through it because I was like, I know where this is headed. The one thing that this person failed to mention was healthcare. And I'm like, you think housing cost is bad. Good luck paying for healthcare. You know, that's why so many people here are trying to fly without it because it will literally take everything you have. Because again, we are corrupt here, people. Amer this is that that comment is aimed at the Americans out there. It's the most American thing I can say is to continue to bring up the corruption and greed that dominates our culture. It's called being American. Okay, I could easily, if I had the money to retire, I could go into this birding rabbit hole and disappear and you would never see from me or hear from me ever again. That could happen so fast your head would spin. It is such a fascinating thing to me to realize how little I know about something and be confronted with it again and again and again on a daily basis while failing and not getting things, not getting pictures. You're like, damn, I missed it again. Damn, I missed it again. Oh, they saw me coming and they flew off. And like, I can see these pair of northern flickers and they're like 50 feet away and I get within 30 feet and they fly. And then I'm like, crap, and I have to listen for them again. And then I sort of circle about trying to get in. They see me, they fly away. I go, I give up. Five hours later, I go back out, try it again. Same thing happened. I feel like I have to build a blind, lay out there, sleep out there overnight in my blind, let them get used to the fact that this thing is there, and then hope that they land in front of me. And no, I'm not a person that puts a feeder out trying to lure them in. That's no fun. There's, there's no fun in that. Okay, um, two things really fast. The last point is very important to me, but this next one is, is we're talking about the world. And there's a lot of people right now that are talking, this is point seven, there's a lot of people talking about the world is completely falling apart. Um, I don't know when the world was not falling apart. So it might look different and sound different today, but it's falling apart. And it always has been falling apart because, again, I mentioned this very early on in this podcast. We are, uh, our species is a menace. Like, we are a menace to everything. Do you realize that we just lost 21 more species off of the endangered species list? 21 species went from endangered to extinct. This is over, like, the last six months or a year. 21. So for those of you out there who kind of think things are, you know, uh, not that bad, well, when it comes to certain things, they are. But overall, you have to remember something. There are a lot of great things happening in the world. There's a ton of really good, important, positive things happening. It's in science, it's in technology, it's in athletics, it's in human endurance, it's in resiliency, it's in discovery. There's all kinds of good stuff happening. And if you're one of these people that's sitting around watching the 24-hour news cycle and just thinking that everything is unraveling, and by the way, I know who a lot of you are. I've been around you. You reference... You reference the lead story on CNN every single day. That's like your point of topic conversation. Quit doing it. Stop doing it. Stop watching 24-hour news cycle. Stop watching MSNBC. Stop watching Fox. Um, if you're still one of these people like Trump's going to jail, Trump's going to jail, what have you been doing in the meantime? Like what have you wasted? What opportunities have you wasted? The world, even if it is falling apart, what are you going to do about it? There's really not much as an individual, unless you're as cool and talented as I am, 
there's really not much you can do as an individual. So whatever it is you're doing in the world, whatever it is, whatever the purpose of your life is, your only task is to do that as well as you possibly can. That's the goal. Whatever it is you do, do it to the greatest of your ability and let the cards fall where they may because there ain't much you can do about it. That's my point. Okay, last point. This is about <coughs> this is about photography and it's about woke and wokeism. And again, th we are such a twisted mess right now in America that this is you have when you have and, and watching him suffer and just get absolutely throttled by everyone else running, watching Ron DeSantis just take a beating in these debates and the national polls and interviews. I mean, the dude is such a weasel, but he's the one who's basically run under this completely fabricated thing of like fighting against wokeism. So let me just tell you about wokeism from my perspective, and you could agree with me or not, I don't really care. Wokeism to me, when it was originally designed, could, to me could be synonymous with enlightenment. Okay, so bear with me here. Wokeism, if you look at the American general population, we are an incredibly undereducated, ignorant mass of people. We have some gems. We really do. We have some people doing amazing things. We have some highly intelligent folks. And then we have everybody else. And let's face it, saying that everybody else is ignorant is, is a kind understatement for what the reality truly is. Remember, I live in a state where I routinely encounter fellow Americans who do not know that my state is a part of the United States. And if you think I'm joking, I'm not. It happens all the time. It just happened again on the shuttle bus flying home from Peru, where the driver said, I just had an, an argument with a woman who thought she had landed in Mexico, was an American woman who did not know that New Mexico was part of the, part of the United States. This happens all the time. That is who we are, and we cannot deny it. Wokeism for me, was about enlightenment, just a little bit of enlightenment, not total enlightenment, which is what these YouTube gurus want you to believe that they've found. All these people who were super successful, hit rock bottom, had a mental health crisis, went to India, grew their hair out, got a nose ring, and now they're a guru. I'm not talking about those idiots. I'm talking about actual enlightenment enlightenment. I'm not talking about that even remotely close to that. I'm just saying that wokeism originally was, you know, we got a lot to learn. Like, someone's race doesn't matter. Someone's gender doesn't matter. Someone's ethnicity doesn't matter. Whatever your religion is doesn't matter. We need to just, like, take a step back, be a little bit more accepting, and get on with whatever it is we're doing in, in the world instead of pointing a finger at each other. That was wokeism. And when wokeism first arrived, I was like, you know what? As a nation, we probably need a little bit of this because we're pretty stupid. It's like I heard a military guy the other day, ex-military guy, was talking about um, – uh, these mass shootings, and he's like, well, we just need to have everybody in the country needs to have guns. Just if everybody had guns, these would never happen. And I'm like, really? Okay, so let me think about this. Let's, let's take a Little League baseball game. So you got 100 parents in the stands, and 100 of those parents have guns. And then you got the, you got the, the dad or the mom who's the overbearing parent who hates the referee, who's overbearing, and then another parent from another team says, dude, why don't you just sit down and shut up and leave the ref, ref alone, and then those guys start firing, duking it out. There's now a gunfight at a Little League baseball game. But thank God the referee has a gun too. So maybe he puts down dad number one. Dad number two thinks he's under fire from the referee, so he opens up on the ref. Let's say he shoots three rounds. He double taps the ref, but that third round, I don't know, kills the center fielder. 
So now the parents of the center fielder are like, that's it, dude, I'm opening up. And he's got his AR-15 in the car. So now he opens up on the rest of the crowd because his, his child is now took a round out in center field. Well, you know, now the police are involved. Now the police come, they're undergunned and outmanned. So they're just going to, they're going to hide in their cars and just start blasting into the crowd at the Little League baseball game. This is going well. It's going well so far. The, the, the police are outgunned. So they call in whatever, National Guard, maybe the FBI. Maybe the National Guard brings in an A-10 warthog and says, just cook them down. Just cook down all of the players and the coaches and the family and the team because we're taking fire. And you know what? Maybe the pilot in the A-10 has to have a – maybe he needs a sidearm too So because maybe the weaponry of the A-10 isn't enough. And then finally, the military has to get involved and just calls in a bunker buster and just uh, basically just vaporizes the entire neighborhood. So, yes, I think a great solution is to get everybody armed on the planet. That just makes all the sense in the world. That's, that's not wokeism. That's not what I'm talking about. Wokeism was just a slight idea that, like, as a nation, maybe we need to up our game a little bit. Maybe we need to navigate the world with a little bit better understanding of some basics and stop worrying about things that don't matter. That's how it started. And then, like most other things that we do, we just took it way too far, way too far. So this is where the photography thing comes in. So some guy wrote me and said, I'm going to cover a festival. And the festival is important for me to cover. But the festival organizers are known for being not so, not so kind to a certain gender. And this photographer was like, I don't really know if I can do this anymore because I don't really know if I can be associated with this because then people might look at me and say, as a photographer, you photographed that event and they're not so kind to a certain gender. So you must be anti that gender. And then you're going to be stigmatized and identified because you covered that event. This is sheer lunacy. This is wokeism gone completely and utterly awry. And if you don't think that there are people out there who are going to do exactly what this photographer fears, then your head is in the sand because this is happening again and again and again all over the place. Oh, you can't do that because then it would mean this and that. And here's the thing. If you're a documentary photographer, you have to ignore all these people. You have to ignore it but also know that what this photographer is mentioning, it, there's a chance that this is going to come to fruition, that somebody is going to say, oh, you know, you, you did that. So if I, get, if I get sent to cover drag racing and, and pipe down right-wing wacko, I'm talking about drag racing, not cross-dressing or drag. You can pipe down, you know. You, you, I know that some of you are terrified of that kind of thing. Talk about drag racing. If I get sent to the drag races, the, the nitro-blown funny cars, watch them dance with the devil as they march through the gates of hell. Okay, if I get sent to drag racing, conceivably you could say, well, shit, you must be in bed with, with oil and gas, fossil fuel industry. Oh, you went to drag racing. Oh, they're using aviation fuel. That stuff's toxic. That stuff is crazy. Oh, we shouldn't have that in the environment. You must be pro-fossil fuel if you're at the drag races. That's wokeism gone completely and utterly awry. And also remember, there is an entire subset of person out there who is doing nothing but scouring the earth, and I mean the physical earth and the digital earth, looking for things to be offended by. They will come after you. 
they will come after me. They've already come after me and said, oh, you're doing this. It must represent X, Y, and Z. And then when I reach out and say, really, explain it, of course, they just vaporize. They disappear. They are, go- they are like locusts. They are going from person to person, group to group, looking for things to be offended by. You have to ignore them. If you let that level of wokeism invade your mindset as a documentary photographer, you will not be able to photograph anything. So I would love to photograph the militias in southern New Mexico. I'm intrigued by these guys. There's this militias, southwestern New Mexico and the southern New Mexico along the border. You have militia groups. Some of these militia groups have like PR days where they will go into a small town and they will set up a podium and a stage and they will tell people about what it is they stand for as a militia. They will do that. But they're also on the, at the, in the same sentence, they'll go, oh, no, no, we can't let anybody in here to like photograph what we're doing. So it's bizarre. It makes no sense at all. It's paranoid. But I'm fascinated by why someone would join one of these militias, what they stand for, what happens on a daily basis. I'm not judging. I'm curious. I want to know like what's going on. So the woke crowd would say, well, you can't do that story because we don't agree with what those militias are doing. We think those people are crazy. So you cannot do that story. Otherwise, you must be in bed with the militias. You must believe what they do. This is happening again more and more and more. It's like it's almost become a fad where if you're not offended by what someone's doing, you're not trying hard enough. So as a documentary photographer, you have to ignore all these people because otherwise again, you just will not be able to photograph anything. You'll be able you'll selfies you know, so, and someone will get mad that you're shooting selfies. Me, I'll probably get mad at you for shooting so many selfies. But, you know, that's why people do still lifes. That's why they do landscapes. That's why they do stuff where there's no people involved because there's just too many crazies out there now. So, again, wokeism, I think, started in a good way. Um, and now you've got both sides. You've got guys like idiots like DeSantis fabricating things about how woke is, is taking over. And, by the way, that dude – If you listen to what comes out of his mouth and you look at the reality of what's happening in Florida, those are two very, very different realities. Um, I'm I'm so happy to watch him just take a beating because Trump Trump will literally tear his limbs from his body and serve them to the other candidates. Like Nikki Haley will potentially eat a femur from Ron DeSantis if Ron DeSantis even comes near Trump in the final election process because Trump's going to Trump's going to flay him. And rightly so. Uh, there's no, no one out there right now that's running on either party that I kind of like seeing lose more than Ron DeSantis. But that's just me. I've got high standards and high goals, people. So thanks for tuning into this mess of a podcast. I hope this was fun. Um, I have a new camera on the way that is suppo- was supposed to be here Tuesday. Then it was Wednesday. Now it's Thursday. I had um, the sender write all over the box and the paperwork, no signature required. I said, this is critical. I called them back specifically, and they did. They put it all over the paperwork. They wrote it all over the box, and I just got a message from the shipper saying, signature is mandatory. So shipping is still a disaster here in the United States. So I'm now two and a half days late from this package, which is not good. But it's a new camera on the way, and I'm sure after I use it for six months, I'll have something valid to share with you about whether or not it works. Thanks for being here, and I will see you next time.